bow heads. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, another chance to be gathered together like this as your children, as your family, as your adopted ones, adopted by grace through faith in your precious Son, Jesus Christ. We are forever grateful, Father, and help us live in this gratitude, even in the moment right now. Help us enjoy this blessing. And Father, we ask that you help us concentrate on your word this evening. If there's anything bothering us, uh, nagging at us, etc., we ask that you help us give it over to you right now so that we can hear your word and enjoy your grace and uh, be prepared for what's next in our lives. We thank you most of all, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, sending him out of heaven to become a man, to do the unthinkable at the cross once for all so that we could be saved and not worry about eternal salvation. Father, we ask your blessing to be upon this message. We ask your Spirit's guidance. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your Spirit. Amen. There's just something about his name, part four. So I want to start this way this evening. I'm not sure if um, some of you have noticed a running theme that's kind of been underlying in the last few lessons. And that is that we are to tell of the wonders of God. Part of our job, part of our privilege is to tell of the wonders of God. Think about his name. Uh, think about his salvation. These are his things, things he gives to us totally from him, uh, not from ourselves in any way. And wonders is really the right word. Uh, we should never lose the wonder at who God is and what he's done for us. We should be constantly amazed that God has reached down to us lowly sinners who are his enemies. And he reached down and came down to us. We should never tire or get familiar with the wonders of God. And we, being redeemed by faith, are to happily share the good news with others and not be shy about saying so. So we know how important motivation is. We know how important it is, uh, the heart is to God. God looks at our heart, He looks at our motivation, why we do what we do. If our motivation is proper, which is really the love of God ultimately, and love for God, if our motivation is proper about the wonders of God, that He loved us so much that He took care of it the way He did, then we won't be shy about saying so because our motivation's right. We're going to be empowered by His love, by gratitude, and by joy. So with joy, uh, with simple joy, we should be, I don't know, overwhelmed, I guess. It's an inner joy, though. We're not talking about jumping up and down and always being excited and happy and, you know, jumping up around and daisies, whatever that expression is. We're not talking about that. We're talking about inner joy that you possess, and that's what um, even extinguishes any shyness we might have. 
So we tell others about the peace that the Lord has given us. So just keep that in mind that God's been underlying, you know, theme here, encouraging us to tell of his wonders. And it's really that simple. Remember our old friend here on the board, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. What's your power? Your power is that you have Christ sanctified in your heart as your Lord and your Savior. Your power is the hope that is in you. And that overwhelms any human insufficiencies like shyness, like fear, things like that. That can even just extinguish that, those type of things we give into. But it's usually when we're not focused on the Lord, right? Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So, as we read this verse one more time on the board, uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 9, verse 1, which is where we started on Sunday. Psalm 9, verse 1. We're not going to read the whole psalm this time, but a few key verses that jumped out to me in our review. But again on the board, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Look at Psalm 9, 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So there again we see it in verse 1. I will tell of all your wonders. Why? Um, because I'm glad. <laughs> I have an inner joy and peace because of you. And I'm thankful. I'll tell of all your wonders. Kind of like a little kid going to tell his friends all the good news about something. The faith of a child. Look at Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So back to his name. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Think about this. I heard this from a pastor this week on the radio. You don't trust someone that you don't know, right? If you don't know someone, you don't trust them. We even, even our parents teach us that from childhood. Don't trust someone you don't know. And this is why we need to learn God's word, because the better we get to know our Lord, his character, his love, etc., the more we're going to trust him. This is why we need the, his word so desperately every day. Look at Psalm 9.13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, who lift, uh, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. So again, it's all about him and his salvation. And Psalm 9, 19, and 20. 
Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Salah. I love that last statement. Let the nations know that they are but men. Put them in fear, O Lord. Man often thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. And without fear of God, man is out of line. And that's so common in many nations and many peoples, and even in our own nation right now. This place of deceit that man puts himself in, or has put himself in, um, thinking he's something when he's nothing, and that God is not needed even, nor is his salvation. That's the place of deceit a lot of men find themselves in today for a lot of reasons, but it's, a, it's commonplace. On the board, we saw this uh, on Sunday from George Orwell's 1984. During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. When everybody's deceived, or it seems like everybody, when the vast majority of people are deceived about something, I mean totally deceived, which means basically you're thinking opposite, right? You think something good is evil and evil is good. And since you're so deceived by that viewpoint, now to tell the truth is like a revolutionary act. It's like a major deal. Just like saying Christ's name has become... Uh, just like saying Christ's name has become in this world. It's become like a revolutionary act. It's become unacceptable, um, which is really amazing when you think about how far our country has come in the last 50, 100 years, even. How has our beloved pastor been openly ridiculed and attacked because he honestly and openly tells the truth about Christ and the world's need of him? How does that kind of thing happen? It's not, it's not like it used to be even just a few short years ago where people that disagreed would just kind of ignore a pastor like that. But now there's this brazenness. There's a willingness to openly attack God's messengers. Hebrews 11 is coming true in our generation now too, especially in foreign lands where Christians are tortured and even put to death for clinging to Christ. And if you don't think that happens right now, you need to do some research. It happens by the thousands in third world countries and communist nations. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11.35. Hebrews 11.35. I get a magazine from an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and um, they're basically focused on reaching out to Christians that are being attacked, persecuted in, in other nations, uh, and to read the stories of some of these people is really amazing, and their faith, such as Hebrews 11, 35 through 38. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. This is talking about, you know, thousands of years ago, right? This is the book of Hebrews, still going on today in many countries. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And then this phrase sums it up. Men of whom the world was not worthy. That's God's viewpoint, thank God. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. This is how people that follow Christ are treated. For whatever reason. But there should be comfort in the fact that this is all supposed to happen. Holy Scripture has told us this is supposed to happen. Especially in the end times, as we'll see. And also, it tells us that it's an honor to suffer for His name. Back to His name. It's an honor to suffer for His name. People can go from loving you, or at least tolerating you, to hating you because you stick with Christ's name. And that's what's happening in a lot of countries that we're in America. We still have certain freedoms, certain protections. But it's the opposite in other countries. Even the government might praise people and encourage people to beat Christians, for example. To beat those who stick to his name, who won't deny his name. But we should consider ourselves blessed when we suffer for his name whether it's verbal suffering, whether it's uh, judgment, that kind of persecution, or physical suffering, which might come in our country one day too, we should consider ourselves blessed to be able to suffer for His name, the one who died for us. So turn again to Matthew 5, verse 10, so that we keep the Lord's perspective on this. We should not get disheartened or discouraged, but even be encouraged that this is supposed to happen and that in God's eyes it's a wonderful, a beautiful thing that we stick to his name even to endure persecution. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Tell of his wonders. As Holy Scripture tells us, in the last days people will be calling evil good and good evil. We know that from Isaiah 5, for example. And uh, we saw a quote again from George Orwell's book, 1984, on Sunday. It was pretty uh, insightful. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. This is what people believe. This is how skewed or reversed their perspective has become after years and years without Christ, for example. It's as the word describes the end times, we see these things happening now that we may have thought we would not see in our life, lifetimes. Some of you might agree with that. You might have thought you would not see certain things 
certain persecutions, certain attitudes in our country in your lifetime. But things are accelerating pretty fast. And as a believer, it's exciting. Number one, to have the chance to suffer for his name in some way. But number two, it's a sign the Lord is coming back soon. Of course, the question is, how much worse can it get? That we don't know. George Orwell may have thought this, that his generation was the last generation, seeing all the changes in the hearts of men around the world. As the Lord is patient, it may become even a lot more extreme before the Lord's return, even in our own country. We just don't know. But it's okay, again, because this is supposed to happen. This is not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to believers, and it shouldn't, it's obviously not a surprise to God. It was all planned out and even foretold for our benefit. So turn to 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, as a reminder of what to expect. So that we're not surprised. We're not taken aback, you know. We're not going to allow um, ignorance to throw us off. We shouldn't be ignorant of what it's supposed to be like right now. For, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. That says a lot too, that phrase. Haters of good, calling evil good and good evil. Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you, mean, you might think that Timothy was writing about, or Paul was writing about America. When you look at that description. But you see, it's always been the same too at the same time. In all these generations, every generation, every nation eventually comes to a place where they're going through these things like Hebrews 11, all that torture towards Christians thousands of years ago. So it should be expected, again, is the point. And these things become the new normal and deceive many. And therefore, if you're going to tell the truth, it's like a revolutionary act because no one's willing to hear it anymore. No one's willing to hear that viewpoint anymore. They're so deceived so taken into their own uh, viewpoint. And in verse 7, again, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They embrace philosophies. They embrace things that um, tickle their ears, that maybe don't have a definite answer or a definite name, so they don't have to be accountable. But this should all be expected. And this is why we must play our part in the Great Commission. Play our part. If you're here, if you're listening to the word right now, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been called. 
and you've been called to a part in the play on the stage. So whatever your part is, whatever your gifts might be, play your part, especially in the Great Commission, so that we might save some, like Paul would say. So big picture, right? Step back. Big picture. Why are we here? Why are we still here if we're already saved? Play your part in the Great Commission before your time's up. We only have a short time. So people in today's world, they'll claim freedom, but they live in bondage. They will take advantage of the overt freedoms their country allows them while their soul is captive to the deceptions of sin and the world. They don't realize it, obviously. That's what deception is all about, but that's what's going on. They'll shout freedom. They'll proclaim freedom and yet live in forms of bondage and have no freedom without Christ. We might say that's what's going on in our own beloved country right now, unfortunately. From Pastor's blog, Let Freedom Ring, a person can be governmentally free, but in complete bondage between their two ears and vice versa. The freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy has nothing to do with what country you live in at least not fundamentally, nor the overt freedoms it maintains. Think of the freedoms that Christ has set us free to enjoy. They really have nothing to do with the temporal and with our circumstances in our nation. They're spiritual, they're soulish, they're of the heart, uh, so that we can be free no matter what we actually physically go through. We can be free in our souls. Pastor also shared an email response from a man by the name of Joshua Makua from Kenya, Africa. And he's a pastor that I also have the pleasure to be in touch with by email. And he often shares some wonderful wisdom, being a lover of God uh, and, and God's Word. And the thing from Sunday's quote that really caught my attention and made me think on the board was the last part of it, which was freedom without limits is not freedom at all. Freedom without limits is not freedom at all. That's something you actually have to think about and think about from God's perspective. Because uh, from a human perspective, that doesn't make sense. God knows that freedom without limits will destroy us, especially since we have sin nature still in this world. The free will man has been granted by God, if you think about it, is actually free choice. It's not free will to do whatever you want and get away with it. You have a choice. You have freedom of choice to choose the Lord or self, for example, to choose good or evil, for example. There's not a third way that man can choose or a fourth or a fifth is choose God or choose self. It's choose good, it's choose evil. That's the freedom man has. By grace, freedom has limits. And God has given his children also boundaries to give them security and to allow them to rest in his love. Without those boundaries, there would be supposed freedom that results in chaos, 
Just look at our country right now when people have no fear of God. Don't want to even mention his name. What do you see? People using the word freedom, supposedly free, that are living in a life of chaos and confusion and sadness, etc. And without Christ himself, they can't have any real peace or freedom. And yet our Lord Jesus, the giver of peace, he's like a curse word in our society today. And why is that? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Why, why is it so bad? Why is it going from indifference or even tolerance to hatred or dislike or even a willingness to attack a man of God as opposed to ignore? Why has it come to this place? Such is the corruption of man without trusting in the Lord. And it, it, it snowballs generation after generation. It increases. Pastor was sharing on Sunday about the desperation of young people today. I often think about how, how you know, glad I am that I'm not a child in this generation right now with all the stress and pressure and confusion and lies being thrown at them and lack of security, lack of peace, lack of being brought up in any kind of church or, or knowing God at all. It's a sad situation for them. Why do they all seem addicted to something, as Pastor was talking about on Sunday, like turning to chemicals and such to ease the pain of life? It's kind of it's plain. It's in plain sight. The main reason is rejection of Christ as Lord. But it even goes beyond that. It's rejection of God himself, even God consciousness. So without even acknowledging or being willing to acknowledge God, there's no hope. There's no stability. There's no reason to live even. There's no uh, purpose. So now what? <laughs> and so despair sets in. Between the world's pressures to live up to certain standards and always to compare oneself to others, that's a horrible thing that social media puts on people. You know, God doesn't want you to compare yourself to others. And what is that all about? So now you have this burden on you. You don't even realize it. And then there's the increasing pressure to deny Jesus. Even they call him a fairy tale nowadays, by the way. They don't even know he's a historical person. Our kids today have no hope in their souls and therefore live desperate, meaningless lives. So on the board, in today's world, Young people don't realize the security and truth they crave can be found completely in Christ. And they can have a life of peace and purpose in this crazy world. This is what young people don't realize. It's all right there for the taking, for the embracing, through a person, through his name. And so we should pray for our young people and pray about opportunities with them as part of the Great Commission. I know some missionaries, some pastors that whenever they go anywhere, their great desire is to speak to the kids. Um, number one, kids tend to be more open, less jaded, for example, than a 70-year-old person. But 
Number two, you know, they need it more than ever, more than any other generation we've, we've seen. They need the truth to set them free. And as part of our Great Commission, you know, we all have different um, pulpits, right? Different areas, different people in our lives that we're to go to. But think about the young people, the young, young people in your own life. Why wouldn't we go to those who have been deceived the most and abused the most by this world? That's very fairly uh, fair to say it's children. Even with their upbringings, without any mention of God, without any stability these days, it seems. And as I've shared before in our local evangelism, I've been happily surprised to find teenagers open and polite to hear about the good news of Christ. So don't judge by the appearance. That's the mistake I made before coming to see this by my own experience. Children might have their, um, or I say children, let's just say young people, they might have their opinion, but they're also desperately hungry for truth. And some of them are quite open. They're waiting to hear it from someone that cares. So again, don't judge by the appearance. We need to tell them straight out. For example, Ephesians 2.14a, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. You don't get peace by him, although you do. You know what I'm saying? He himself is our peace. He is our source of hope. He is our God and Savior. These are things that they need to be plainly told with courage, with boldness, with love, because that's what, they'll see that in you. As we'll read again in Acts chapter 4, the boldness of proclaiming his word, that, that's what throws people back, you know when they see that you really believe what you're saying, when they see that you're not apprehensive, you're like, this is the truth. And yeah, some people are going to turn from you and think you're nuts. And some people are going to be like, I can tell, I know he's telling the truth by his conviction or her conviction. I don't know why, but I'm going to believe in this Jesus because I could tell. I just know. I don't know how to explain it. I just know. And what are they, what are they looking for? someone like you, to be willing to share with, with love and boldness. But as the world's deception increases, we saw this on Sunday, while the remedy exists, our country won't prescribe him to these aching younger generations. Here these young people are starving for answers, and they refuse to turn to God or give give the Lord as an answer, as an alternative even. But you know what? This, this falls to us as believers, unfortunately. It used to fall to the parents, and the parents would at least give some foundation of God in children's lives, but it's rarer and rarer and rarer, as we know. This falls to us believers. It's our job. We believers who possess God's Word can act as a spiritual doctor with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We know the remedy, in other words. We know the prescription. We can prescribe it. But if you're sitting on your couch all the time and you're not willing to go out and actually reach out to someone that you know is hurting or might need a friend or might need a mentor, a younger person that might need a mentor, if you're not willing to get off their couch, too bad for them, I guess, huh? We have the prescription. 
guys, are we sitting on it? Are we being a doctor and not seeing patients? May we do our jobs unto the Lord, between each of us and the Lord. Our young people need to hear the simple good news available to them, the truth that will set them free. They're desperate. For example, on the board, a simple truth like this. We lose our peace when we forget or don't believe that God is good. How about sharing this with a young person? God is good. I know you might not agree or you think you don't understand why the world is such a mess, but God is good. It's a devil's world, if you're interested. That's what the Word tells us. But God, He's good. And they may have never heard that before in their lives from someone, anyone, maybe. I was going to say someone they respect. Possibly from anyone. Maybe this is your way to give them God consciousness. God gives that, but you know what I mean. How about just at least coming to a point where you consider the fact that maybe there's a good God above that created you and has a plan for you? Go again to Psalm 107 1. Psalm 107 1. Again, we lose our peace when we forget or don't believe that God is good. And some people out there have never considered that as their truth and their peace. Psalm 107, 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell of His wonders. Remember that in Psalm 9? Tell of His wonders. Why? Because you should have a glad heart, an inner joy, a peace that for what God has done for you. A malady of the flesh is that we forget the good things of God. We have short-term memories because we're selfish. We're often so focused on self that we forget what the grace of God has already accomplished in our lives. We forget the grace of God toward us as a sinner, uh, even revealing himself to us in whatever personal way he did to each of us. He got our attention. He didn't have to reach down to us like that. And we forget that. Kindness. On the board, this came up on Sunday, have we forgotten? In the absence of truth, we suffer, our children suffer, and our country suffers. With the rejection of the embodiment of grace and truth, Jesus Christ, we lack peace. And this is what our young people even need to be plainly told. All we have to do is look at the fruit in our country, and we could see that as a country, we've forgotten. Rejection of Christ, or putting Him on the back burner, so to speak, has resulted in sorrow and lack of hope. But the Spirit's now telling us there's power in His name. Uh, there's freedom in His name. Don't be afraid to use it. Are you afraid to use His name? Are you letting Satan get the best of you by living in fear about what people are going to think about you or say about you? Or are you going <laughs> to let the gladness flow out of you and tell of His wonders? freely and what comes 
comes. The Spirit's telling us there's power in His name and there's freedom in His name. So use it. And we need to let freedom ring, so to speak. You know, we need to declare freedom from the rooftops, especially for our young people. And don't lose sight of the tremendous power in simplicity. That's another thing that these lessons are largely about. There's power in His name. Don't lose sight of the tremendous power in simplicity. And this is the way of God, after all. For example, again, on the board, there's just something about His name. There's power in God's name. We don't know how to explain that. That by the name of Jesus, people were healed. By the name of Jesus, demons were cast out. How do you explain that? Those who deny him, deny his name. Let's review some of the scriptures we saw on Sunday for the first time. Uh, turn again to Romans ten thirteen. Back to faith of a child. You know, when a child gets some good news, he can't hold it in, right? He doesn't think too much about it. He doesn't think how he's going to say it. He runs up to these kids that don't know it yet, and he bleh, right? Splurts it out, out of joy. He blurts it out. And we must not lose that childlike faith as we obey the Great Commission. But it comes from a place of um, gratitude, Right? inner joy, and that motivation, again, is what brings it out naturally, so to speak. Romans ten thirteen. For whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you have to ask yourself, why doesn't it just say there, whoever will call on the Lord will be saved? Why does it say, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved? Just something to think about, right? On the board? 1 Corinthians 6.11 Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Turn to Philippians 2 verse 9. Philippians 2.9 for this reason also, God highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a day that's going to be. But no one's going to be able to deny him his name at that point. They're going to bow. Go to Mark sixteen seventeen. Mark sixteen seventeen. You know, and it's good for us to, to envision and picture these days when this comes, when the Lord comes back, for example. It's very good for us to use the imagination that God has given us and enjoy the passages about that return. Because that's motivation. That's good godly motivation. Mark 16, 17. 
These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. In my name. And on the board we have a similar idea in Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Was there a magic potion that the, the 70 disciples had? Did they bring a little chemical or a little oil? Was that where their power came from? No. Did they bring a piece of Jesus' clothing with them? No. In his name, by using his name, by faith, the demons were subject to them. There's power in his name. <laughs> Simple and supernatural. Go to John 14, 13. John 14, 13. Makes sense, right? If he really is the Lord of the universe, there better be power in his name, right? There has to be. And it made me think of in Genesis when God created everything. He spoke and created universes. Maybe he spoke his name. I don't know. John 14, 13. Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then finally, we came to our verse about the Great Commission itself. Go to uh, Matthew 28, 18. And if you're paying attention, it seems like the Spirit will not allow our primary reason for living to escape our consciousness. He's like, I'm not letting you guys off the hook. We're going back to the Great Commission. All this that you're learning right now, yes, it's for you and your soul and your peace, but it's also for the Great Commission, your purpose. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So again, the point on the board, there's just something about his name. There's power in God's name. Those who deny him, deny his name. Then on Sunday, we saw Acts chapter 4. And we saw that there was a great respect shown towards the name of the Lord amongst the new church that was forming. We saw the believers in the early church living out the gospel reality in their lives, relying on his name for everything, even though Jesus had just left them after the resurrection. They relied on his name for everything. And remember, something we can relate to, as they lived out their new life by his name, there were those who hated his name also, side by side with them. And they had to learn how to deal with that and learn how to love others that hated the name of the Lord. And so we experience that also in our nation, wherever you live, part of living in the devil's world. So we're going to read this again in Acts 4. Uh, turn your Bibles to Acts 4.1. Acts 4.1. And let's allow the example of the early church to inspire us to walk by faith in the Great Commission. 
given by the Lord. And remember, these people that you're reading about, whether they're the apostles or the believers that were with them, they were fellow sinners saved by grace, just like you and I. And they lived out God's plan with great reliance on the Spirit and the Word and His name. So Acts 4.1. And by the way, I asked the Spirit several times as I was reviewing. I'm like, you sure you want me to read the whole chapter again? He's like, yeah. Like I went back to it more than once. I'm like, let me cut some of this out. It's just, you know, it's long. We went over it already. He's like, no, just read it. Just read it. So apparently we need to see this all in context and just uh, take it in. Acts 4.1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, picture this scene, folks. It's like being in a den of lions. When they placed them in the center, talk about pressure, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. Gotta love Peter, huh? You're surrounded in a den of lions, and you could easily cower back. But he boldly proclaimed the name of Christ. He knew his Savior. Acts 4.11 He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no one, no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You got to think Peter was probably prepared to be stoned to death right there. If you look at what he said to who he said it. Verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer in, to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. 
for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, why, why are they saying this? I was thinking about this. Why are they saying this of all things? Didn't they just suffer for Jesus' name and get set free and the miracle happened in Jesus' name? Yep. What did they go back to in verse 24? The big picture. The big picture. We have to always go back to the big picture. Look, Lord, it's you that made the heaven and the earth and the sea. In other words, like we're nothing. Thank you for letting us be a part of this thing. It's you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit... Through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. There's the big picture again. We don't understand why Jesus had to go through this, but we kind of, we're getting it. We're starting to get it. It was whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur, Lord. We trust your plan. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there we see the power in the Lord's name and how it changed people. But back to our modern day, where we live 2,000 years after this, the danger among man and among social programs today is to make God abstract and undefinable and unnameable. Peter, in this passage, boldly and rightly gave credit to the name of Jesus alone. But the world will do anything to not use his name. 
and even not allow us to use his name. This is a major obstacle that the world promotes along with its philosophies on life and God. Mr. Zacharias referred to the mistake of people turning to an abstract power, undefinable, so to speak, a higher power without a name, and therefore, no credit. No credit. If there's no person to say thank you to, think about this. If there's no person to say thank you to, there's also no one to rely on going forward. And that's exactly what Satan wants. No person to hope in. No good person, no good God to hope in. Let's keep it vague and general and even abstract so that it's even like a thing that did us good. And then there's no knowledge of someone that might actually care about me and love me and ultimately be in control. That's the horrible lie that's perpetuated by our world today. They'll say when something good happens to them, it's the universe or it was fate. Well, that sucks, doesn't it? Something good happens, happens to you and you say, well, it was fate. Oh, so you tell me there's no one I can rely on or turn to? That it was just luck in essence? It was timing? It was the stars aligning? But there was no one that aligned the stars. It was just the stars aligning. We got lucky. So there's no one I can rely on? That sucks. And that's what Satan wants our young people to believe. There's no hope. Satan's afraid of losing his power in this world to God. The temporary power that he's been given in this world as the God of this world, he's afraid of losing it to God and to God's people also. And he's convinced many in the world that it's fate. So therefore one has to, has to give up hope. Those are the types of lies we, you and I, believers, and people that choose to live in the word, these are the types of lies we have the privilege of helping people escape from just by boldly giving people the truth of the gospel like they did in Acts 4. Peter could have cowed down. Peter could have given another answer. Peter could have apologized to those religious leaders that were willing to stone him to death. But he didn't. We'll be tested in different ways, all of us, when giving the gospel, you know. Do not be ashamed of the power of the gospel, Romans 1. So we have a privilege, just like they had a privilege, to have a hand in setting people free from the slavery to sin and death. Don't take that privilege for granted. This is unbelievable that we have this privilege, that God considers us and even allows us to be used in this way. So we'll close this way. As came up on Sunday, without a name, a relationship is hardly personal. Satan's goal is to keep God, if he exists at all, impersonal. That's why he hates when someone turns to the name of Jesus in their heart. Hates it. Because on the board, namelessness means impersonal. 
Satan would say, that's just how I like it. Maybe there's a God, but maybe it's just a force. Maybe he's an abstract power. Maybe the stars align. Maybe this thing called fate blessed you. Just keep God nameless. How does one even pray to a so-called higher power? That's like praying to a thing. Because a higher power is not a person. It's more a thing. In our day and age, it's considered the universe. The energy in the universe. Couldn't be much more vague and hopeless. Think about it. So we also read on Sunday, Revelation 5. Go to Revelation 5.1 as we close. And this is just a great visual for us all. But this is also the person that our young people need to know is coming back soon. You know, you young people might tell your friends, Jesus is coming back soon. And they might think you're nuts. And you might have to take that risk that they're going to think you're nuts. But you know what? When it happens, (laughs) they're going to be glad you told them. Hopefully in the tribulation, maybe they become saved because everything you said happened. But you had to be willing to be called nuts, to be looked at, to look, be looked down at, to be ridiculed, maybe even attacked in some way. It's okay. Big picture, right? Revelation 5. <laughs> this is big picture. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. <clears throat> And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down.
and worshipped. If that doesn't motivate us to not be ashamed of the gospel, I don't know what will, right? Let's just keep reading our Bibles and listening to the Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power that your name holds, that your word and your spirit hold as we, by faith, live a life trusting you for whatever you ask of us. And we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to play our part in the Great Commission. We're so grateful, Father, that you want to use us. We ask that you help us pray more, to always be in the faith, to always be looking to you for guidance, and to keep the big picture in mind, because we're not here for ourselves, Father. We're here for you. We're eternally grateful to you for what you did with your Son on the cross. Help love for you be our greatest motivation. Help it, uh, help it inspire us to share the good news with joy. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring the good news out to this lost and dying world and to our young people especially who need it so desperately. We ask this in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.